baddies, let me tell you something. Your witch here has been going through it since the last time I talked to y'all. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I know that we are officially and or unofficially in the Mercury retrograde shadow period. <sighs> okay, did y'all ever read that book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day? It's one of my favorite books from when I was a kid. It's really just one of my favorite books because it's a lot about like complaining and just like pouting about things <laughs> which I, and being kind of petty, which I like to do sometimes. But I was living the version I like to call Mickey in the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I had a day, you know what? Let me start by saying this. Things can always be worse. So this is not me complaining. I am actually going to turn around at the end. Also, hi, welcome to Bad Witch Podcast, the podcast where we are going to get our witch shit together one spell at a time, even if Mercury is on our necks already. I feel like we just went through this. Okay, so this was my terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. So I'm going to Bali and Australia, like we talked about. And of course you have to get, well, you don't have to get vaccinations. I always get my travel vaccinations because I'm just, I just get sick, you know, and I would love to avoid it if I can. I hate needles. I hate getting injections. The feeling, I don't, you know what? I don't want to trigger anyone <laughs> talking about how it feels like feeling it going into your bloodstream, but I'm not a fan, but I'm also not a fan of uh, getting typhoid. So I have been so stressed about getting in particular this typhoid vaccine because you can get a very, very painful shot, which again, I'm a baby, or you can get an oral vaccine. And one is the dead virus and, you know, creates the antibodies. Antibody? I'm pretty sure that's how. Yeah, that's it. I'm pretty sure. And, um, or you can take an oral prophylactic prophylactic vaccine. Hi, welcome to science chat. And it's a live one. So you do have like a little bit more of a reaction to it, but I will do anything to not get a shot. So I'm like, I need those pills, that pill. I thought it was one. Turns out it's four. You have to take it over the course of a week. I leave in like three days. I did not plan this well at all. What else is new? So I go to my doctor's office and I was like, Hey, um, I need to get this. I'm leaving for Bali and you know, yeah, this is my doctor. I come here. And they were like, Oh, we won't admit you. Um, because this isn't a health emergency. And I was like, well, if I get typhoid, I think that will be a health emergency. So shouldn't we do something preventative about it? And I mean, this has never happened. It, I have the best doctor. It's, I always go in, they take such amazing care of me. And it was just this one day that they were like, no, sorry, you can't come in. They won't see you. And I was like, okay. Oh, but before that, um, this light came on in my car and I was like, I don't know what this means. I think it's the battery, but we'll just see what happens, <laughs> which my fault. But in, in saying, I'm going to turn this around in every instance of the bad day that I was having, something good came out of it that kind of renewed my faith and whatever was protecting me. And I guess in the sense of the universe and like my angels, so I walk out, get to my car and I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't get my vaccine. I'm totally going to get typhoid because that's how I'm a catastrophist. That's how my brain works. And I realized then that I have lost my phone charger. I have net. When I tell you, I have had five different Blackberries. I've had every iPhone. I have never lost a phone charger. I had Nokia's and Motorola's and I never have lost a phone charger in my life. So my phone's on like 10% of course. So I start walking back towards the building. I'm like, they're going to think I'm like coming in there to fight them or something. But really, I just want my phone charger and to like go cry because I'm never going to get the vaccine I want. And this woman comes out and she's like, they wouldn't admit you. And I was like, no, 
And then she personally, she's like, well, I work here. And I, she, I guess she kind of overheard the exchange and she personally called them and was like, listen, she's traveling and you need to give her what she needs. And I was just like, dang, look at my angels though. Like my angels, my ancestors, my goddesses, they are really out here looking out for me. So then I was like, okay, stop crying. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Never did find my phone charger. But again, I was too embarrassed to go back inside because I was just on the verge of tears. <laughs> okay. So, um, that was one. They would one like him on the card. Two, they wouldn't admit me, even though that's literally never happened before. And I'm pretty sure against policy, if that is your actual doctor, I think you can go in just for like a prescription. I don't know. What what do I know? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> even though I give out advice about things all the time on this podcast with disclaimers. Um, so yeah, lost my phone charger, was too embarrassed to go back and look for it. I made it to the parking lot and I was like, it's fine, I have another one somewhere. I'll go buy one, you know, worst comes to worst. So I get to, I'm with my parents right now because I'm getting ready to travel. So I get to my parents' house and I am like, I don't know where the hell that charger is. I have not seen it since I like got in town. I don't know where it is. Walk into the room where I'm staying and it was like sitting on my bed. I have not seen this thing. <laughs> I can't remember. I didn't even remember packing it. I have not seen this thing in forever and it was sitting on the bed. I was like, all right, universe got me part two. Don't freak out. So then I go to work out. I'm leaving the parking lot and um, my car dies. Li literally, I'm pulling out of the parking lot and my car goes da -da 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 and dies in the middle of an intersection. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what that light means, which I was guesstimating was the battery, which was trying to alert me. You know, when a light comes on your car, usually it just goes off by itself eventually. So you don't worry about it. So... I uh, jump out of the car. I start pushing it. Amazed at my own strength, might I add. Good thing I've been working out that I could push the car by myself. And again, the kindness of strangers and my angels and my goddesses being there for me. Two people jump out of the car behind me. They push me back into the parking lot. And, oh wait, by the by, this had all happened by like noon. So it wasn't even like spread out over one day. But that's when it hit me that, well, the first thing that hit me was like, did someone put a jinx on me? Is this? Am I being cursed right now? Like, what's, who has the Mickey doll? Like, what's happening? But that's when I really realized because in waiting for the tow truck to come, I had to sit outside. And it was the, I never go outside. You know, I tell y'all, my cards always yell at me. And they're like, are you going to leave uh, the hotel that you're in or the house that you're staying at? Are you going to leave your home? Like, what's the deal? Are you going to take some fresh air into your lungs for once in your life? And I was, I was sitting there. It was such a gorgeous day. They were just like, cute little ducky swimming by and the sun, it wasn't too hot. And I was sitting in the shade and there were miraculously no ants or spiders crawling on me for once in my life. Cause insects think I'm so delectable. And I was like, Oh, I think Ostara did this on purpose. So I, I don't think I was cursed. I'm pretty sure no jinxes are cursed. Curses were, uh, utilized against me at this time. But I was like, I think Ostara was trying to lead me to this moment because I never go outside. I never connect with the earth. I never just have quiet meditative time outside. And, you know, even though we're approaching Samhain in the northern, the northern, wow, the northern hemisphere, they are approaching Ostara. So, yeah, I feel like the, you know, she showed up in the last goddess episode. She was the first card. And at the time, you know, we kind of came to the understanding that she was showing up for the people in the southern hemisphere that listen. But I think she was really speaking to me, too. And she was putting me outside in that moment to reconnect. So, Definitely not Curse or Jinx, thank goodness. <laughs> and definitely was Goddess Ostara trying to connect with me and make me just slow down and 
even if it seems like I was having a bad day and I was having a jinxy kind of day, honestly, every hurdle that I hit, I, something good came out of it. Like I got, I was restored in my faith in humanity and the universe because I felt like it was looking out for me the whole time. And trust me, I don't always have a lot of faith in humanity with the way things are going. But yeah, I do feel like she was really making herself known to me and being really, really, really present for me. So a star is out here just as much as we are approaching Salwyn. So I just don't want my Southern Hemisphere baddies to feel left out of the conversation because she's kicking. Like I'm telling you, she made herself so known. And I really did realize that like every action that I took that day and everything that occurred that day, whether it was within my control or not, it was kind of a part of her plan for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad she showed up. So it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day in like the mildest sense. And I really couldn't complain. I wasn't even complaining about it then. I was like, this day has just been really weird. But we all have weird days sometimes. And it really is also my belief that I was having such an off, quote unquote, bad luck day because I kind of needed to like get it out of my system, my energy fields, because I'm going on this trip. And I think the trip is going to be even more amazing because I kind of had this day that was just insan insanity. I mean, it wasn't even that insane. It was just, it was just a weird day. I never have days like that, but definitely could have been worse. No complaints. However, <laughs> right when things were going really kind of bad at the beginning, especially because I, I've been having a lot of anxiety about this typhoid vaccine. I don't know why. Whenever I'm about to travel, no, just generally in life, and I think a lot of empaths, we all share this, we tend to have a higher anxiety because we feel everything from everyone and we feel our own emotions and energies and vibrations so strongly. Um, we tend to be anxious, a little more anxious than most people. And I think we also tend to get like fixated anxiety. So I was just fixated on this vaccine and it's not like if I went to the right place. Well, I, I thought I did. I went to my doctor and I thought they would be like, of course, here's your prescription. And that didn't work out. So that just heightened my anxiety. But it's not like if I went to the right place where I was, you know, the one that can give it to me right then a travel clinic, by the way, they would say, no, you can't have this. You have to get like, <laughs> you know, the things that you obsess about, but in the heat of it, when I was really on the verge of tears, I was like, did someone jinx me? Like, what is going on? And it made me think this would be a great time to talk about protecting ourselves as witches. Now, this is an episode that I wanted to do in full. It's one that I've kind of been having in the back of my mind. And I, you know, I wanted to make it the actual topic for the week. But here's the thing. <laughs> We're already in October, right? And the veil is thinning. Mercury will be going retrograde in all of us. And we're approaching Scorpio season. So it is truly the spookiest time of the year. So no time like the present, especially because we're going to be, you know, dedicating at least the next two episodes to the witch trials and then to Salem itself. And then for, for Samhain, for Halloween, I really did want to make it just Samhain focused. And it really is a very apt time to talk about it because the emails I've been getting lately, and I'm still behind on emails, I'm working on them, y'all. But um, there, there's been a lot of messages and emails and DMs about, I saw something in my house. Um, I'm feeling a presence. I feel like something may be trying to mess with me. Even in my other witch groups, I've been seeing, you know, the veil is setting. The things that go bump in the night are bumping through and <laughs> making sure we see them. So yeah, uh, let's talk about how we can protect ourselves because I personally don't play that as I have shared with y'all before. I do, I have been told that my third eye is very, very active. I have had those incidents I've shared on the podcast way early on where I am like dipping back into 
past lives or other dimensions. I still don't have a quite have a handle on that. And it hasn't happened in a while, which I'm talking about now. So it's really going to happen today or tomorrow. <laughs> but overall, I have made the decision that I am not interested in playing with spirits. I'm just not. And I believe that my consent and all of our consent is very important in that. So here's the, here are the two school of thoughts that I like to come from when dealing with a presence, right? One is that you absolutely just don't engage because the more you engage, the more that it's able to feed off of it and the stronger it gets. The second is get the hell out of my house. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you, you just ignore it and it, it's going on and you've had enough and that's what you go with. I always like to start with ignore because it's not my business. I'm not engaging in this. You do not have my consent or my permission to invade my life in this way. So I'm just, it's like, you know, when a child's having a tantrum, I mean, I guess I'm not a mom. I don't know why I started on this, this tangent, but you know, sometimes when a, a child is absolutely having a ta tangent, I'm under, I'm of the understanding that you're just supposed to let them like freak out and, and exhaust themselves and do what they need to do. And when they come back down to earth, you can be like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And, and, you know, let's talk about what's really upsetting you and how we can fix the situation. So that's kind of how I am. I'm like, whatever this tantrum is, it's not my business. And it doesn't pay my bills, so I can't worry about it. Now, I do think that there are times where you just get to a breaking point if something is really persistent and that's always in life. And I, I have been known to be like, okay, stop, stop. I, I don't want this. I don't consent to this. Get the hell out of my house. Or like, just stop it. This is not welcome here. And it's not a spell. It's not a charm. It's not an incantation. It's nothing like that. It's just literally me. I think sometimes it really is effective to just put your foot down and state what is on your mind and in your heart. And that is stop it. You are not welcome here. Please leave. Or you have to leave, you know? So I think especially for like a darker energy, it's, it's better to ignore and perhaps involve people that can really deal with it. But if it's something more of like a pesky, um, I don't want to say annoying or aggravating, but if it's something that's just more of like a nagging presence, I, I am more apt to be like, okay, enough. That's enough. This has gone on and this isn't welcome here anymore. I don't welcome this in my space. I don't welcome it around me. Be gone. <laughs> like we said last week with Lilith, where they go put a uh, Lilith, I'll be for Lilith, be gone. Sometimes you just got to be gone something out of a situation. Although I would never be gone Lilith as she is our witch mom. You know, and it's so funny that it never occurred to me being as stubborn as I am, being as much as a feminist as I am, being as much as I am so ready to tell someone, uh-uh, I don't think so. What do you think you're doing? You are not going to come in my life and act like this kind of person. It never occurred to me that I could be the same way as a witch, that I get to decide what is welcome in my world and what is not. And I get to decide, you know, what I consent to and what I don't. And it was really my witch mentor when I was 30 and I was, you know, I had this teen witch like leveling up coming into my powers moment or not moment, but like entire year. She was really the one who told me, you, you can say no, you can say you're not welcome here. Get out of my space. And you are more powerful than anything that you can see or unsee or not see rather. The universe is more powerful. The gods and goddesses are more powerful. Your angels are more powerful. The power you have in yourself is the most powerful thing, which is what attracts good and also sometimes bad, right? And yeah, it just never occurred to me. My automatic reaction to the few instances where the veil was maybe thinning out and I was younger, so maybe my guard was down and I just didn't know how to protect myself yet was fear. And fear is what negativity and darkness feeds on. And the more 
scared you are and the more fear and anxiety you're putting out, the bigger it grows. And that's why these things can get like out of control and out of hand sometimes. So it was really a comfort to me knowing that I can protect myself simply just by believing in my own power and by knowing that it is up to me. I get to decide, you know, I've been watching True Blood. <laughs> oh, by the way, our movie club um, first movie is going to be Practical Magic. Everyone I know has already seen it except for me, but like bear with me because I haven't seen it yet. So that's going to be the first one that we watch and talk about. Anyway, so I've been rewatching True Blood and it's, you know, such a big part of like the vampire mythology is that they are not allowed to enter your home unless you welcome them in. And also you were able to rescind the invitation at any time, which do you know how much I love that? Do you know how much I wish? I mean, not that like I've ever had it happen once I've broken up with someone, but do you know how much I wish just like during a fight with a partner, I could be like, you know what? I'm actually rescinding your invitation at this time. So why don't you see yourself out? <laughs> like, I would love that. But yeah, that's kind of how I think about any kind of spirit, energy, entity, anything like that, is that it has to be welcomed in or it can be rebuffed, you know? And so that's that's what I do. I, I personally am not going to welcome anything in. So to me, there's no invitation even rescind. There is no invitation, period. So if that helps you think about it in that way, that is something that popped up with me. Oh, just falling in love with Vampire Bill and um, Eric Northman all over again. Who do you choose? Well, obviously you choose Alexander Skarsgård. The one remaining scars guard on this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that's number one is that just, you know, know your own power and your own power can protect you. Number two is our glittering, beautiful black crystals. Now I'm not saying that black crystals are the only ones that are going to protect you. I am saying that they are the best. <laughs> they really are. A black tourmaline will save your life. It is everything, a jet and obsidian. They are gorgeous. Even just looking at them, that the pitch blackness, it's like velvety and it's intoxicating. I love them so much. I really think that like selenite and then a black tourmaline is the foundation for any witch. Like they are just so powerful and they are about purifying and protecting, which is kind of the one-two punch that we all need as witches, as we know, as the veil is thinning out and everything is just like, hi, boo. Heard it was almost that one around here. So here we are. <laughs> So let's start with black tourmaline because I really do think it is the best of the best of the best of the best. So it is a protection stone like we talked about and it's kind of like your all around protection. It works to lower and repel harmful frequencies. So I like to use black tourmaline in conjunction with working with Archangel Michael because he also to me is very much a repellent. I don't know. <laughs> Like you, you like you spray him on you like mosquito repellent and he keeps all the ghosts away. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that he is really good at repelling and banishing and you know, not everyone has to work with angels, obviously, but for me, I like to hold my black tourmaline or I like to wear it and then talk to Michael and be like, Hey man, I really need your help right now. Like something funky is going on and I'm not with it. <laughs> so yeah, black tourmaline, I feel like just enhances the entire experience. And I, I personally feel more protected and safer just wearing the black tourmaline. So if angels again are not your thing, totally cool. I, I would just wear it or hold it or have it next to your bed or have it under your pillow. And it makes such a remarkable difference. It, it really does just make me feel peaceful, which someone with anxiety like I have, that is not always something that's easy to come by. And I really do sleep easier knowing that I have it around my neck. Um, yeah, it just kind of creates like a force field around you and any kind of energy, psychic debris, 
um, any vibrations, any frequencies, it just can't penetrate. It's like, I was going to compare it to like a condom for your spirit. But that's so silly. But I don't know. That's just really what flashed in my mind is that it's something that covers all of you. And, you know, even though it's not heavy duty, it puts so much around you that things aren't able to penetrate it and it keeps out what it needs to keep out and you're safe and protected inside. So I don't know why that's what came to me. Am I okay? Obviously not. Okay. So that's our black tourmaline. It truly is like your all around protector. I 100% recommend getting one if you don't have one already. And it's a really great stone to wear, especially in October, especially as the veil is thinning out and boy, is it truly getting thin? And then we have jets. Um, I love Jet because that name just sounds really cool. Like, what are you wearing? Oh, Jet. <laughs> I think that sounds really cool. I mean, Black Tourmaline, that's a little mouthy, right? Like, you have a lot of mouthfeel in that one. But, oh, you know, I'm just wearing a little Jet to protect myself. Also, Jet, I don't know. There's something about it that makes it look like it's literally made of the night sky. It's, it's just so black. It's like the blackest, most gorgeous shade of that color. I love it so much. I I'm, I have such an affinity for the black stones. I know obviously I do because I in passing have brought them up and I think every single episode of this podcast. And so golly, finally they're getting their due. Uh, yeah. So Jet is really great for um, clearing out internalized emotional energy for empaths. Ding, ding, ding. Hi, that's us. Here we are. And I know it's like sometimes I, I think I do it as well as a lot of other witches, as well as a lot of other people just in like the conversations we have about being an empath, we talk about it like it's a burden and it's not, it is such a beautiful, amazing gift, gift that we have. And it's something that we have in order to help other people and to make ourselves better people and to be healers out in this world and to be pillars that other people can come to. So I hope it doesn't come off that I'm always like, I mean, being a damn empath, like I'm exhausted because you know, that's not it. It's just, we really do have to take extra care of ourselves and jet is an amazing way to make sure that we are doing that. It's one of my favorite stones to have present at card readings when I'm doing them in person with other people, because it does protect me as an empath when I mean, any time of the day, I'm just taking in other people's energies, let alone when I'm like, Hey, let's talk about your spiritual path. Let's connect to the goddesses. I will be a channel and a vessel for you. Let's do this. You know, it's, it's so much different just being around people versus doing spiritual work with and for people. So yeah, especially for my card readers out there, I would absolutely recommend Jet because it's just gonna, I don't want to keep making condom analogies and similes, but it really is another thing that will wrap itself around you and protect your empathic nature, which is really, really important because I'm sure as we all know, even if you aren't an empath, but you read cards or you are an empath and you read cards you will be absolutely drained. Like you have no, I have no more left to give at the end, you know, and it is such an exchange and it is taking on so much of other people. And that's, a, I told y'all before, I don't let other people touch my cards because I know that I can reset myself correctly. I'm not, it's not that I doubt that I can reset my cards correctly. I just would rather not take the chance of anyone else's intentions and energy being on them except for mine in the sense of like a physical exchange of, vibrations and energy and frequencies. I just realized that I keep wanting to bring up condoms because we're talking about protecting yourself. And so much of the rhetoric I grew up with and like the late nineties, early two thousands watching MTV and probably being too young for it. And you know, watching Daria and Beavis and Butthead all the time. Anyway, 
was that there was a lot of commercials and pro special programs about safe sex. <laughs> so not that I'm so about safe sex. I champion it. I am so about condom usage. It's amazing. And not just for child-free people like me, but, you know, we should all protect ourselves and get tested and all that stuff. I think that's the best thing that we can do. One of the best things we can do for ourselves and for our partners, you know, whether they be long-term committed partners or they be fun um, fling partners, whatever it may be. But... Yeah, I keep wanting to bring up condoms and talking about protecting yourself because of that. I just made that link. Okay, on to our next stone, which is black obsidian. Talk about a powerful stone. Black obsidian is, you know, if black tourmaline is like you're all around, you should absolutely have it for any kind of negative occasion, <laughs> any negative occasion, then your black obsidian is like your Mac daddy of the black stones. It is basically will protect you against and help you with anything you really, really don't want to tangle with. We're talking about bad luck, misfortune, sorcery. Hello, your hexes, your curses, your jinxes, um, any fix fixations or attachments that you want to rid yourself of, or you don't want to be formed in the first place. It's a really, really great stone for banishment. Um, it's amazing for returning negative energy from where, from whence it came. Is that what that saying is? I wanted to say that so I would sound very scholarly and well-read, but I think I said it wrong. <laughs> it will return that energy from whence it came. I think that's the right saying. I don't know. I'll look it up later. I always say that and then I never look it up. Someone remind me when you hear this. But yeah, it's really a shielding stone. It, there's a vision that keeps coming to me of like someone holding up a mirror at the sun to like try to reflect the sun back at itself what am I thinking of it's something from a kids tv show I think it's from the magic school bus I don't know oh my gosh we miss frizzle which by the way but yeah I think I'm having this memory from seeing something like that on the magic school bus but yeah that's kind of what it is it's like whatever you don't want coming your way and not only do you not want it coming your way but you want to like return to cinder black obsidian is an amazing amazing stone for that it it'll not rock your world but it'll rock their world <laughs> you know so if you if you are if you are having like a terrible horrible no good very bad day week month and year black obsidian would be an amazing thing to add in because it will really work against bad luck like we said and hexes and jinxes and curses and bad energy and uh just any kind of malevolence that might be trying to come your way you know the more that i'm talking about it the more that i'm like i need to go get some fresh black obsidian not that i think anything is against me and not that you know i'm expecting to get more bad luck but that's the thing you don't expect it that bad day that i had i wasn't expecting my car to die i wasn't expecting to not be able to get my medicine i had actually my whole plan revolved around that and that's why i got so crazy about it but yeah i think the more i'm talking about it i'm gonna go get some fresh black obsidian because you know, why wait to protect yourself? We should be doing it as a preventative and preemptively because, you know, if you are do a bad day, maybe it'll alleviate it a little bit. Or you never know when someone might send some bad energy your way or some bad energy might just be collecting and trying to find its way in. So, you know, why hold out until we need it? Let's just have it ahead of time. So we're already trying to build a protective atmosphere around us, around our practice, around our magic, around our altar, around our just our space and our energy so yeah i'm gonna go get some black obsidian i think it's a good thing to keep on hands much like a typhoid pill if you will and then finally we are going to talk about apache tear i love this stone you know i brought it up in a lot of episodes and let me say because i have brought this up as well i don't know if there is anything offensive about that name 
if there is and you happen to know, because I I Googled around, but I couldn't really find anything, uh, please let me know. And I will be more than happy to change my vernacular with that. And I will definitely correct it on the podcast. Okay. So this stone, y'all, you know, my mom always denies being a witch. <laughs> when I was little and I had my witch kit, uh, sorry, not my witch, well, it was a witch kit, but my crystal kit I told y'all about. Um, one of the first stones that I got in there was Apache's Tear. And the thing that really just blew my mind as a kid is my mom showed me that if you hold it up to the light, it's translucent and you can, you know, see the light coming through. And so when you're holding it just down in your hand, it's this gorgeous, just deep black. And then you hold it up and you see almost this like golden light coming through. Love, 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 love. Only witches would know that I'm on to her. <laughs> but anyway, what's amazing about Apache's Tear is that it is able to transmute negative energy. So it can really, really help you with healing. So talking about your trauma, your sadness, grief. Um, what's that other word I wanted to use? Not just sadness, but like, uh, uh, oh gosh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, despair, you know, th those really not, I don't know. I don't want to say that sadness isn't valid, but even kind of like a deeper feeling of that, like a branch off of sadness, like despair and grief and sorrow. It is something that it, it's such a healing stone for that. And it's really, really beautiful because it's able to take those, I don't want to say negative energies, but those heavier energies, and it's able to transform them into something lighter and something that our heart can take and something that our soul can take and heal and mend with. So it's, it's so beautiful. I just love it so much. I think that's why when we look at it, we're able to hold it up and see the translucence and see the light come through it because that's what it does for us. You know, it takes this kind of heaviness and it brings it back to the light and it brings light back to our lives. So I just think it's so beautiful. I love it so much. And it is really cool that it does protect us in a different way. It's not so much about banishing things away and outside sources and, you know, repelling what doesn't work for us and making a shield around us. It's really about taking us from dark to light and letting us heal. And that is incredibly protective to us. I, I think we should also have that one. So basically we should just have all those four black stones and also all the crystals because they all come in handy for something. Uh, I can't say enough good things about them, obviously, because we are at 30 minutes officially and we have, <laughs> gosh, I knew this was going to go this way. This is why I always knew it had to be its own episode, but <sighs> we still have to talk about the witch trials today. So I guess it's just going to be a mega jam packed episode just as they all pretty much are, even though I swear I'm trying to get this podcast down to just an hour. <laughs> Don't see it happening today. Um, yeah. So after that, Number three, we have our candles. I just said number three and threw out two fingers. <laughs> All right. Number three is our black candles and our white candles. Of course, your black candles are going to be to banish, to get rid of negativity, to push it out, to remove it from your space. And your white candles are there to restore positivity, to bring in peace, to bring in purity. And so I would definitely burn my black candle first, especially if I feel like I'm dealing with a little something, something, and then burn my white candle once that one has been burned to completion and just restore the good vibes of the space. Bring that peace back in, bring that positivity back in. You know, I think that white candles and black candles really are companions to each other. And I think we always need to be conscious of like taking something out and then replacing it with something. So we're taking away the bad, we're banishing it away, and then we're restoring purity and peace and positivity and all those good, beautiful, shimmering things, hopefully. Um, I think even with the Samhain, <laughs> Samhain, the Samhain spell for the challenge, I said anchor it with a black and white candle. That's what I did. I know you didn't absolutely have to do that. 
But, you know, it's always about striking that balance. You know how much we love balance around here. So, yeah, wonderful companions. Definitely, I would recommend using them together. And then number four, we are going, speaking of candles and smoke, we're going to talk about smudging, smoke cleansing, however you like to refer to it. Um, I Oh, also, there's obviously more than just four ways to protect yourself as a witch. But in hopes of not making this a two-hour segment of one episode, I just thought, let's get it down to just these, like, four that I... I really have a part of my routine. So we have a whole episode about smudging. It's called When in Doubt, Smudge It Out. I'm pretty sure. We've, I recorded a long time ago. And in that episode, I think I only talked about using White Sage or Palo Santo, especially because I was like very Palo Santo dependent. In fact, I still have one um, stick of it left that I have been just like burning only in dire situations. Because after that, you know, I'm not going to get any more because we had conversations after that episode... I can't remember if it was all together or not, um, about the depletion of it and about it belonging to certain sacred communities and about cultural appropriation and about ethical sourcing. You know, it's just, there's so many alternatives out there. Then why not explore other ones that don't harm other communities? And maybe there will be something that resonates with, you know, each of us individually much better. So these are some that are your alternatives to your white sage and your Palo Santo. Um, this is, I don't use this one for protection, but it is protective, but I've been really into burning bay leaves recently because it brings all the good stuff. <laughs> like you stuck in power, money, success, um, just all kind of general magic. So I'm not, I just wanted to throw that one out there first because it's not necessarily a protective one for me, but it's, it's good. It's some good shit. I'm gonna be honest. Um, for me, I like to use cedar a lot. Um, it kind of has replaced Palo Santo for me. Because cedar, and I'm trying to remember who in the Facebook group was the first person to tell me to try it, but it's really great for banishing fears. And a lot of my anxiety is fear-based. So it's like, this is like such the anxiety hour. I didn't know I was going to talk about it this much, but you know, I think it's nice to know that you're not the only person with it. And there's like people that can relate to it for sure. But mine is, like I said, I'm a catastrophist. So mine is like, what if I do get typhoid? And then, um, you know, what if they can't evacuate me? And then what if I die? What, what if that's the conclusion to everything, you know, like I always, my mind just immediately goes to worst case scenario. And so it is this very much like, it's not that I'm afraid of getting typhoid. It's that I'm afraid of dying from getting typhoid. So I do have a very, very fear-based anxiety and cedar helps me a lot with that. It helps with dispelling fears, with kind of breaking them down, with banishing them away. And, you know, fear again, like we're talking about is something that is delicious to bad energies to bad entities. They love it. They feed off of it. They grow strong from it. And so the more that it's not even just about pushing, say like personal or internal fears away from you, but from taking you out of a fearful environment, it's really, really, really helpful. Lemongrass is great for cleansing and purifying. It smells divine, like exactly what you would think, unless you don't like that smell, then never mind. <laughs> but cedar smells really, really, really good, especially if you're missing that Palo Santo, like woody scent, cedar is really great. Um, lilac is really good for protection and for exorcism. If I don't know what y'all are dealing with, but if that helps, then that helps. Um, uh, lavender is really good for relaxation, again, for like restoring peace. And so it's kind of, I kind of think of it as like an Apache tier kind of relationship where it's not necessarily protecting you from outside sources, but it's like restorative to you and it's healing to you. So it protects you from your like inside turmoil, if that makes sense. Um, rosemary is really good for moving negative energies, especially those related to like sickness with illness, with injury. Um, thyme is really good 
for releasing, for getting rid of uh, attachments, for getting rid of, what's that other word? I can see it, not attachments. Well, yes, attachments, but also dwelling. I couldn't think of dwelling. It's I think it's because it's one of my least favorite things to do and I always get on people about it. And I can't remember if I've ever ranted about the dangers of dwelling on this podcast before. But um, in short, I think that dwelling is one of the worst things that you can do to yourself, to your magic, and to your energy. And especially when we relate it to another person, dwelling on someone else and dwelling on what they did to us and dwelling on how they hurt us. Nine times out of 10, yeah, they absolutely were wrong. And they, you know, are going to get some kind of karmic retribution in the next lifetime. But dwelling only hurts us. You know, me dwelling on an ex doesn't hurt that person. Me dwelling on a a boss that may have fired me unfairly does nothing to them. It only hurts me. So I am very anti-dwelling. So if you're feeling like you're having some attachment dwelling issues, definitely check that out. Um, chamomile is really good for protection and purification. Um, oh, there's another one. Cloves, again, for protection and exorcism. Uh, um, there's one more. There's Well, there's a lot more. There's one more I wanted to say. What is it? Um, oh, my gosh. I can't remember. I can't remember. Was it mint? Was it mint? Peppermint? Eucalyptus. <laughs> I should know that being that I'm going to go hang out with some koalas pretty soon. Eucalyptus is also really good for healing and protection. So there are a plethora more. That's another one. If you um, have ones that you really like, email me, share them in the Facebook group. Uh, especially if you make your own bundles and you want, I, th- I think someone has done it before. Let me know if it was you and feel free to bump the post up. But yeah, if you make your own bundles and want to do a little how-to or like share the how-to that you follow, that would be amazing because I think it makes it a lot easier to not feel like I need to go buy a smudge stick or a bundle and go buy White Sage and Palo Santo if we know that it's something we can do for ourselves. And it's even more awesome to do it for yourself because then you're really setting the intention of it. And you don't have to worry about a bunch of people putting their paws on it in the witch store and, you know, putting their energies into it because we're talking about protecting ourselves. And so obviously if we can have a smudge uh, stick or bundle that has been created by our loving witch hands and with our own intentions, then we're really able to protect ourselves because no one else's energy has bounced off of it. So yeah, if you do have a how-to for that, in fact, I'll look one up. I've never made one before. I need to get on that, but um, I'll look one up too. And if no one has one they want to share or can share, I will find one that we can all do together and that'll be fine. Maybe that'll be our homework. Oh, wait, I said I wasn't going to give you any homework that wasn't the Samhain challenge, didn't I, this whole month? Okay, so that will be our homework in November, if I can remember. (laughs) Someone remind me. I'll make a note. I'll actually make a note. It's not like when I say I'll make a note or look something up and then I forget to do it. But those are some of the ways that I like to protect myself as a witch. Um, There's also the angel thing, which I've talked about at length in other episodes. But, yeah, I call an Archangel Michael a lot. Um, I don't personally believe that you have to have any religion or believe anything particular to be able to work with the angels. I think they exist for all of us to protect us and be there for us and, you know, whatever our needs may be. So, uh, and yeah, there's no certain way I invoke him or call him. I just literally say, Archangel Michael, I need you. And I'll say what's going on. And that's, and I say, thank you, you know? Oh, and then I did also want to say, <laughs> never going to wrap this up. <laughs> I wanted to say, I do, along with like the black stones and the black and white candles, I do like to bring in something that represents love because to me, the thing that counteracts fear is love and the thing that counteracts negativity is love. So with our four black stones, I do also like to have a rose quartz on hand. Um, And with our black and white candles, I like to have a pink candle on hand. Just, I think bringing love into a situation brings in the correct vibe. It doesn't, and that doesn't mean romantic love by any sense, but just a loving feeling. So yes, those 
are the ways I like to protect myself. I think we can wrap this up now and move back into our witchery history and start talking about these witch hunts and witch trials, which will lead us to Salem. But first, of course, we have to do our Patreon shout out. So an extra special thank you, as always, every week to Maria, Crystal, Maya, Aurora, Celine, Kristen, Adam, Brandy, Bryn, Kara, Becca, Alicia, Nolling, Heidi, Mackenzie, Stephanie, Ashley, Lena, Vanessa, Sasha, Brett, Tiani, Amber, Courtney, Elizabeth, Carla, Aaron, Shannon, and Amanda. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen if more people sign up? <laughs> I get so out of breath when I do it. No, but for real, I know I say thank you every week, but truly thank you so much from the bottom of my heart because every time, you know, someone signs up for Patreon or is continuing their Patreon pledge, I don't know what they're called exactly. I think it's called pledges or, you know, buy some merch and not to say that any of that is a requirement to be here because it's not at all. But, you know, when people just support in that way, it allows me to put even more time into Bad Witch and that's all I ever want to do. This has been my priority pretty much since it started because... I always felt like it was something pretty magical and now it's brought so many of us together and I'm so happy we're doing this together. I say this all the time, but I could not ask for a better coven. I can't believe there's so many baddies in the Facebook group and y'all are so supportive of each other and there's so much love and such positive energy. And I wanted to really say thank you for that as well. Sorry, I get so mushy and gushy, but I'm a Pisces and you all know that at this point. So you should know what to expect. I'm a triple water sign, so you should know what to expect. But it means a lot to me when I can't be as present in the group that it kind of doesn't matter because you, you all got it. You have each other's backs and you take care of each other. And I'm really, really grateful for that. It makes me such a proud witch mama, witch auntie, witch sister, however you want to look at me, witch mentor, witch best friend. I don't know. Uh, however you, <laughs> you say, uh, oh, my friend said this and someone's like, oh, was it a podcast host? <laughs> I hope that you say my friend. Absolutely. I, I love that. So, okay. We've talked about all the good things about being witches and our coven. So now let's get into some more nefarious things and switch over to witch hunts, witch crazes, witch purges, witch trials, just the things that people had to go through, whether they were actually witches or not, because, you know, it doesn't take a lot to spark uh, hysteria and especially mass hysteria. And that's pretty much what happened. It was just, uh, you know, it was like the 1400s version of something going viral and it got totally out of hand. How out of hand did it get? Well, talking about the classical period, not the classical period, but the classical period for witch hunts that like truly the height of it that you, when we're talking about witch hunts and witch trials, it's the period that we're usually referring to. Not to say they haven't been in existence in some form since antiquity and in some countries continue to this day. Like there, I have this timeline that I'm going to go over with y'all. I might not do the entire thing because it's a bit long, but I think it is important just to give a context of the breadth of how long this has been going on. And it's so much more than just 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, you know, which I think we all know that, but it's even more expansive than I had an idea before I was like, I'm going to do an episode about Salem. And I was like, no, I'm not. Cause I have to talk about way more stuff before then. So between 1482, so mid-1400s is when this started to hit a fever pitch. And we will go back to why in just a minute. Uh, so 1482-ish to 1782-ish, there were 100,000 people around about there that were accused of witchcraft. 100,000 people. And of that 100,000, the estimate is it's come down a bit. 
um, in recent years, but the estimate is that between 40 and 50,000 people were executed for witchcraft or for suspicion of being a witch. The highest estimate I've seen is 80,000 of that 100,000, give or take. But other places I read have agreed on like 40, 50,000. But still, that is an enormous number of people that most of them weren't witches. And we're going to go to, in just a second, what kinds of things could get you accused of witchcraft and then be persecuted and executed for it. But let's keep that in mind. It was a witch hunt. So yeah, it was, it's absolutely, that's something that's about who we are, you know, it's about the, the fear is of who we are. The fear is of witches, people that practice magic, people that can consort with spirits and people, I always use that word. Is that a Cavort. People that cavort with spirits. That's, I think that's what I was trying to say. Um, you know, people that can heal, people that can tell the future, uh, tell, do fortunes, people that can see the future, people that can read cards, people that uh, can speak with the deck, all of that stuff. That is stuff that we are legitimately capable of, you know, depending on what kind of witch you are. And so the fear, yes, was around witches. The persecution was we want to persecute witches. That doesn't mean that it was only witches that were persecuted. So I just think that's something that's important to keep in mind that, yeah, witches were absolutely the target, but it wasn't only witches that suffered. So let's talk about the things that could get you accused of being a witch. You're never going to guess the first one <laughs> unless your guess was being a woman. That's right. That's all it took. That was literally all it took in some cases that you were a woman. That is the number one thing that would lead to someone being accused of being a witch. Now, why would that be besides, you know, the obvious persecution of women or the patriarchy? It's that the belief is women are more susceptible to sin. They are more susceptible to being seduced or swayed by the devil. And, um, I guess we're just considered to have lower moral character than men. Okay. So pause for laughter. Let's continue. And when I say a woman, I mean any woman, old women, young women, middle-aged women, women with children, women without children, married women, unmarried women. Like it's just the common denominator here is that the, they, I'm, I'm saying they, the religious, they, the persecuting, they, the, um, judicious, they were looking for women. They were targeting women. Women were the ones that they wanted to persecute. Because, you know, just when women get mouthy and out of line, what are you supposed to do? Accuse them of heresy, of course. <laughs> so, yes, being a woman is the number one thing that could get you um, accused of being a witch. So what else? Um, if you were a poor person or considered to be from the lower class, you were treated like a lower life form or like a second class citizen, which again is something that has not really changed today. So for those cases, it wasn't necessarily that people would be accused of witchcraft and the I saw so-and-so doing magic kind of sense, but in the fact that the community or the village or whomever didn't want to take care of that person anymore. They thought that they also had low moral character and were sinners. And that's why they were in this destitute position. And how much has that changed? Look at how the homeless are treated or the housing insecure. Look at how they are treated, you know, all over the world as if they are lower and, you know, got themselves into this position and deserve to be there and aren't worthy of anything but our judgment and contempt. And so no one wants to help. You know, it's, it's crazy that even though we're not now burning people at the stake and uh, drowning them and crushing them with rocks, 
a lot of these same mentalities are happening, even if they aren't going to the extremes that they went to before. Society has not evolved that much. Um, so yeah, being poor could definitely make you a target. What else? Being rich or financially independent, especially as a woman, if you were by yourself or should I say by yourself? Well, yeah, if you're by yourself, if you're a single woman and you are an adult and you can take care of yourself, you have no issues with money. Well, obviously that comes from magic, not from you being intelligent or being a hard worker or being good with your money. No, no, it means you're a witch and that you must, you must have conjured up this wealth or stolen it from a man or <laughs> seduced a man to take it away from him. It's, you couldn't be poor. You couldn't be rich. You got to follow a very uh, straight and narrow, extremely narrow line or, you know, that accusation is coming. Also, if you ha were a woman that had many female friends and by many, I mean two or more, <laughs> because of course, what do women do when they get together? magic. So you couldn't gather that. That's a big old no, no, absolutely be accused of witchcraft. There would be no, um, ladies who lunch in, uh, the classical witch hunt period, because that was something that would put a target on your back. Also, if you got into an argument, say with one of those friends that you're in your supposed coven with, or just an argument with someone in that community, in that town, in that village, that is another aspect of it being that someone could literally just accuse you. It doesn't have to be, I mean, would the accusation usually be something like, oh, well, I saw Melinda, I feel like that's a good witch name. I saw Melinda um, speaking with a familiar or I saw her flying across the full moon. So yeah, they would make up a witchy based accusation, but maybe the reason they were accusing Melinda is because um, she stole a pie from their windowsill or she was making eyes at their intended boyfriend or so, it could be something so minuscule or it could, I mean, it could literally be something like, Oh, this person stole money from me. This person, um, really did harm me in some way. And so my way of retribu retribution is to accuse them of witchcraft because we all know how that's going to go more times than not, but it really could be something as small as, Oh, they stepped on my shoe and didn't apologize or they didn't hold the door open for me. Or, um, they did it, you know, pick me to be on such and such committee or at the church. Just, it was just a lot of, of pettiness, a lot of pettiness and a lot of interpersonal conflict and a lot of politics within these communities. And, you know, human nature is not always a beautiful thing. A lot of times it can be nasty. And have y'all read Lord of the Flies where those boys just go crazy, you know, left to their own devices. That's the thing. People do tend to kind of tap into their dark side more, I think, a lot of the time. And it's interesting that a lot of the people that were being accused of witchcraft were on the end of an accusation from someone that you would, could make the argument is like operating with darkness in their heart and something that would be quote unquote uh, witchcraft, even though we know witchcraft isn't dark. We know it's like this beautiful, magical, amazing thing. But yeah, a lot of the times the accused the accused, the accuser, there we go. The accuser by accusing someone was like operating with what I would call, you know, kind of a dark, a darkness within themselves or a negativity that was kind of feeding. So I don't know, that's just my perspective on it. But back to things that could get you accused of being a witch. If you are an old woman, we know that goes without saying old women that are widowed, that never married, that are on the edges of society, 
absolutely are some of the first people accused of witchcraft because, you know, number one, that you've lived a long time in this kind of period where long life was not a thing to be expected. Obviously, that's some kind of magic. Or that you can't participate in the society that you are part of the way that you used to because you're old and you're tired and like, just let me go to my college, my college, my cottage and chill out. But then you're seeing as othering yourself, you're seeing as isolating yourself. And what's really interesting, because being an old person, an old woman could definitely get you, um, get you accused, as could being a young person. I think the youngest person accused of witchcraft in the Salem witch trials particularly was four years old. And my belief behind that, and I think kind of the hell belief behind that is that it's not are these old women and these young girls witches? Maybe, maybe not, but they're being accused of witchcraft because they're not seen as useful in society anymore. Again, we've talked about this, a woman that is, you know, past childbearing age. Well, what use does she have for us anymore? Or, you know, a young child, children have to be taken care of. So what does, what purpose does this woman serve us right now? Nothing. <laughs> so that is a reason that both the young and the old and also the middle-aged women were targeted. And again, with the old women too, it's that so much of the stereotyping of a witch is aligned with being an old woman. The, uh, the long, uh, bumpy nose with the warts and the sagging skin and the sallow eyes and the gray, wiry hair and the crooked teeth and all uh, the punch in the back. All of that stereotyping that we've seen evolve and evolve and evolve since the idea of witches has come into existence is what it's old women. That's just what we're talking about because we are so we find we're so disgusted by the idea of an aging woman <laughs> that we have turned her into a monster. It's insane. It's it's insane that you can't just age gracefully. And we wonder why women feel like they have to get Botox when they're 25 and have to get fillers, which nothing is wrong with that. If you want to get fillers and injections and cosmetic surgery, I mean, go for it. But if the pressure is because of we are afraid of aging, because look at how the patriarchy and look how society treats us when we get to 30, just 30, you know, just 25, of course we feel pressure to do that. It's just exhausting. Just in the same way that we still treat people that are poor, people that are, you know, economically struggling, people that are, you know, don't have homes or are hungry, people, the people that we absolutely should be taking care of and wrapping our arms around and saying, like, come in, we'll take care of you and using our privilege for good. It hasn't, you know, changed that much in 2019 all over the world, just like the way that we have been viewing women that are past their quote unquote prime. We still... Just are like, all right, we'll throw them out. We're done with that. She's a witch. <laughs> you know, it's it's wild. It's wild how in so many ways we have evolved as a people and how in so many ways we we're exactly where we were in the literal 1400s. <laughs> I think we would have come up with a few better ideals, but we're still working on them. I think we're going to get there probably with just the help of witches, which is why we're so essential and everyone needs to leave us alone. Okay, so what else could get you accused of being a witch? Well, being a witch. Like as much as all of this at one hand was about accusing people that weren't practicing witchcraft, it was about hunting down witches. Like, let's not forget that it was about persecuting witches. The, there could be no witch trials without witches, right? In witchcraft. So if you were, say, Melinda in the village and you're the person that people go to to be healed, to uh, they give, she'll give you a potion to get rid of your migraines. She'll give you herbs and crystals to help you with your fertility. 
she'll, um, you go to her and she'll read your future and tell you how many children you're going to have and look at your lifeline and tell you how long you're going to live. And if you'll have a prosperous life, if you'll be successful, that there were so many key women in communities like that, that were practicing witches and were utilized by people sin though it may be right according to them and when these witch hunts came all of a sudden you're evil you're malevolent you were the cause of the crops dying you were the cause of the infertility you are the cause of the children dying in this village you're the cause of the hard winter we have you had a hard winter because it's the 14 15 1600s and it's winter time that that's why you had a hard winter all winters are hard when you don't have indoor plumbing or electricity or you know homes that aren't just made of whatever so yeah i mean they could be really quick to turn on you even though maybe a few hundred years before or even a few years before all of this like hysteria kicked in you were the person that people went to or even specifically women or um also men in the communities that function more or less as doctors all of a sudden doctors were or not not to call them doctors but you know there are people you went to if you needed something medical all of a sudden well that's witchcraft you know science is witchcraft <laughs> and how many people still believe that to this day that is a major thing people believe in the existence of god or they believe in the existence of witchcraft i mean science <laughs> and people there's not not to say all people but there are definitely groups of people and definitely religions that do not believe that the two can exist in the same space. And so they're quick to say heresy now, just like they would have said heresy then. Really, just the more we talk about it, it's pretty amazing how things have not changed as much as we think they have. Um, what else? Oh, if you are a married woman, but you have no children. Well, obviously the infertility is your fault because you're a sinner. That's how things work. It has nothing to do with biology. It has nothing to do with perhaps your husband's um, contributing materials. No, it's that you're a sinner. That's it. Or uh, if you say live next door to people that weren't able to have children and you, uh, you were the cause of that because you were jealous of them for some reason. So you hexed them or you cursed them. Or if you had um, or if you were next door to someone with a lot of children and they started to have bad luck, then also it was your fault because you were so jealous of all the kids they had to have and you're just a, a evil old crone. So you have decided to hex them. <laughs> like, again, you just, you can't win. There are so many things that you could be accused of. Like how, how is, how is anyone alive in that period? Like how did any women survive it? It's just insane. Especially because people could just lob accusations at you because of how, because they felt some kind of way because they, there was some slight that they felt was worthy of you losing your life or at least losing your standing in the community. Totally. Um, also you could be accused of being a witch if you were a bitch. <laughs> Can we just say like going through this list, uh, they, I would have never made it. They would have accused me day one, <laughs> but yeah, if you were, uh, and, let, and let's talk about the word bitch, right? We know how we like to use it. It's that you're strong, you're independent, you don't take no shit, you will uh, stand up for yourself, you will stand up for others, you are in the, you're free, you're independent, you're, you're not letting anyone tell you that you need to obey them. And you're not necessarily living your life by the rules of the village or the society or the year that you were born in. So yeah. If that's obviously witchcraft, that's obviously you're being influenced by malevolent forces because no woman of moral standing would act like that. I mean, honey, hello, we do it all the time. <laughs>
And then another I love is having a witch's mark or a devil's mark, which you're, I know what you're thinking. Oh, it's does someone have like six, six cents burned into their skin or something? No, it's just, you have a mole, you have a, a third nipple, you have a birthmark, something that simple, something that simple would be looked at as again, oh, you're different from the rest of us. You're physically different. So something must be up with you. It's, it could be something that small. Um, and I have, I feel like I read this somewhere. I couldn't find it when I was like re-researching for this episode, but I feel like, especially with the birthmarks, the belief was like you were touched by the devil or by a malevolent spirit. And so that's why you had this remaining mark on you. And also if you did have the third nipple, it was believed that your familiar would feed from there. <laughs> so you're just nursing your familiar, which was believed in all cases to be an evil spirit that was taking the form of an animal. Um, yeah, so you were either nursing demons or it was that you got touched by one. And I know I talked about this in some episode where I was ranting about feminism. So literally could be any of these. But I did talk about Anne Boleyn and how she was very much uh, accused of being a witch. Now, I don't know if it was part of the like official accusations that were made against her by the crown, but it was uh, very much rumored and circulated that she was so much so that people believed that she had a large um, mole on her neck that she would cover with a choker style necklace that had the B for Boleyn and that she had a six finger. And so that's why she had this particular style of dress that she popular popularized that came to a point at the sleeve and in hers she was said to have uh like an extra what are they called uh ring of material what is that called I know y'all are screaming at me she had a I'm supposed to say stirrup that's not right <laughs> oh shoot like a, I can't remember what it's called but a ring of material that she would keep the six finger in and thus it was concealed and so, um, but yeah, people would say, oh, she has that mark on, upon her neck. She has the six finger that obviously she's a witch. And obviously she has bewitched our beloved King Henry. And that's why she, he has uh, put noble Queen Catherine of Aragon aside for her. And look, now she hasn't been able to uh, produce any male heirs like she said she would because she's a witch. And that's why we have to uh, replace her now. And so even though she had these other accusations, which were baseless from what I have come to read about her, I'm a little bit of a Tudor obsessed person. So I've read a lot about Tudor uh, fact and fiction or not fact and fiction, but fiction and nonfiction. But um, it did not hurt that the public was so eager to turn against her because they believe she was a witch. You know, maybe if not to, I was about to say, maybe she'd still be alive today. No, she wouldn't still be alive today because that was in the 1500s, but maybe she not would not have lost her head had, the population decided that she was a witch and they were ready to turn against her as well. Maybe if she really was beloved, it would have saved her neck literally. So yeah, that is one example of people. And, and it's been disputed even if she did have the mole in a six finger, or if that was something that came out later that people who, you know, after her death were just continued to disparage her legacy were just circulating about her. But yeah, that is one very famous example of how a simple mole and a simple, you know, little extra bit of skin with a tiny little fingernail could be, you know, contribute to the end of your life, honestly. So say that you are doing everything right according to the pious standards of puritanical or religiously fervent Europe and America. 
Uh, you are married. You are subservient to your husband. You have had lots of kids. Your next door neighbor also has lots of kids. You're not having an attitude about anything. You don't have too much money, but not too little money. But someone comes over to your house and they see that in your refrigerator, well, not your refrigerator, but in your home, that your um, milk and your butter has spoiled. Guess what? You could be accused of being a witch for that. If specifically milk or butter were spoiled or things were seen rotting around your home, then you could be accused because then you uh, were thought to have bad energy, negative energy that was causing things to die and spoil around you. So that's all it took. You can make do every other part right. But uh, that milk better be up to date, honey, or you're going down too. <laughs> and then there is the old favorite. If you are a woman that has sex out of wedlock, then you can be accused of witchcraft. You have obviously seduced this man and you are doing a major no-no sin because sex is for procreation in the bonds of marriage only. So you must be a witch, right? You are lustful and you are passionate. And those are not traits that women are supposed to have. <laughs> you're supposed to be in a marriage where you're just, uh, making sure you survive each day and you're making sure that you're procreating, but you don't get to have any of the fun stuff. That is the way that we're supposed to live piously. No, thanks. You know, <laughs> I'd rather just have a little more lust in my heart than that. So yeah, uh, sex out of marriage. Definitely. Again, a thing that was much more, uh, looked down on with the women than with the men. Almost kind of like it still is today where men are expected to, uh, get out there and, at a boy, get all those girls you can. A woman, if you have sex with literally anyone, then you're a slut. And if you lose your virginity, then you have lost your reputation. And that is so much of what the witch trials are about. It was targeting people's reputation and their good standing in the community. And if you did survive the trial and weren't executed and, you know, went on to live another day, you were tainted from that point on you could not recover from being accused of being a witch, whether you were or not. And honestly, I feel worse for the people that weren't actually witches because they didn't have any magic or any ability on their side like witches do. It's just oh, such a bad situation to get caught in. And again, it could just simply come from someone's own pettiness towards you that they wanted to make that accusation in the first place. Another one that I personally would have been accused for is trying to figure out the identity of your husband. Um, not that I am going to get married, but I have said on this very podcast that I am very nosy posy about the person that I eventually will be in a longer term relationship with. And so I'm going to do the St. Agnes, is it St. Agnes or St. Agatha? <sighs> I can't remember. I think it's St. Agnes, um, uh, ritual on January 21st. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go back and look. But uh, yeah, I'm just nosy and I want to know who it's going to be. I don't feel like waiting. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Like I can wait for the person to enter, but I just want to know who it is. I can be like, okay, cool. Let me not even worry about anybody else. But um, yeah, that's something that could absolutely get you accused of witchcraft because you were kind of tampering with magic, trying to get these answers about your future. So I'm out. Like they would have been had me accused. You know? <laughs> Let's see what else. Um... Uh... There was one more I wanted to talk about what, oh, either being related to someone who was accused or being accused by someone who had also been accused. So not only did you have to watch out for someone that you may have accidentally snubbed them at the local fair, but also if someone was already going through literally being tortured into a confession and you're the first name that pops into their head, they might try to take you down as well. And you know, that is... 
huh, I, I really can't go into a whole thing about torture because this isn't that podcast and we don't have the time. But I mean, just the idea of, okay, well, I'll torture you for answers. And then you are literally pushing this person to like the boundaries of their pain and feeling their life slipping away from them. The answer, they're just going to give you an answer to make it stop. We are human beings. We do not do well with pain. I mean, most of us don't. And to get out of a painful situation, we will just say at some point, whatever you need us to say. So is torturing a good way to get answers? Uh, I don't think all the time, honestly, if someone is, you know, crushing me with stones and I just am going into survival mode saying I have to survive this. I just, you know, I want to have my life. Then I'm going to accuse any Tom, Dick or Harry that you need me to. That is just self-preservation and not wanting to be in pain like that. So yeah, uh, you know, it's, it, it could be someone that wasn't even seeking to cause you harm, but just, you're just the first name that came out. Or it could be someone that is like, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody down with me. Like, it's not just going to be me. So yeah, if you're accused by someone else that's been accused by witchcraft, of witchcraft, or if you happen to be related to by a witch, which, oh, that's no good. Um, yeah, that was, that was a quick way for you, it to get to you too, because you're in the same household. You're in the same bloodline. You know, how could you not both be affected by the same thing? So just a literal multitude of things you could do or things that other people could say or things that you didn't do or things that you just are as a person that could get you accused of witchcraft. Maddening. And that's why it's really important, again, to highlight like the hysteria that was going on because there was no rationale anymore. Now, did the Puritans think they were being rational and saying, well, you're a sinner in all these ways, so you're a witch? Yeah, they did because their, their backup was their Bible, right? And their religious beliefs. But to us, would we say, well, yeah, you have no husband, so therefore you are a witch? Not rational. <laughs> Not rational, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, it could be anything. You Honestly, I'm more impressed that people did survive this period than didn't because once it's up, kicked up to a, a hysterical pitch, then you're just at that point looking for people to accuse before you get accused. You know, you get some, some applause and some high fives for turning people in because, oh, what a good Puritan you are. Oh, what a good upstanding moral character of the society that you are. So yeah, it just, it really pit people against each other. Absolutely. And unfortunately we lost, you know, tens of thousands of people because of it. So now let's go back to the timeline that I mentioned. I wanted to uh, go through a little bit earlier in the episode. This is on thought co not thought <laughs> thought, sorry, thoughtco.com. And it is a timeline of witch hunts in Europe. I will um, share it. If y'all are interested in it, just let me know. I thought it was a really interested, uh, interesting compilation of everything. I'm not going to read the entire thing because really it is comprehensive, but um, the parts that I am going to share, I will just read so we make sure we don't leave anything out. So starting with the Hebrew scriptures in BCE times, which, which we talked about last week, uh, we have mentions of witchcraft. We have it in Leviticus, we have it in Deuteronomy, and we have it in Exodus 22:18, which we talked about. Uh, then we skip down to 200 to 500 CE and the Talmud or the Old Testament is describing forms of punishment and execution for witchcraft. So even way, 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 way back then, this is something that is, you know, being discussed, being thought about. There are these other entities, these witches, and how are we going to deal with them? So then we come down to the year 910, whereabouts. The canon of Episcopi, yeah. A text of medieval canon law was recorded by Regino of Prum. It described folk beliefs in Francia or Fa Francia 
the kingdom of the Franks just before the beginning of the Holy, Ro Holy Roman Empire. This text influenced later canon law and condemned maleficium, bad doing, and sorilegium, fortune telling. But it argued that most stories of these acts were fantasy. It also argued that those who believed they could somehow magically fly were suffering from delusions. So the question kind of becomes, is witchcraft an actual thing or is it not? Is it all folklore and myth and fantasy? So let's skip down to 1258. Pope Alexander IV accepted that sorcery and communication with demons amounted to a kind of heresy. This opened the possibility of the Inquisition capital I, concerned with heresy being involved with witchcraft investigations. Late 13th century, in his Summa Theologiae and in other writings, Thomas Aquinas, is Thomas Aquinas a saint? I feel like he is now, briefly addressed sorcery and magic. He assumed that consulting demons included making a pact with them, which was by definition apostasy. Aquinas accepted that demons could assume the shape of actual people. Uh, 1306 to 15, the church moved to eliminate the Knights Templar among the charges with heresy, among the charges were heresy, witchcraft, and devil worship. Uh, let's come down a little bit. 1316 to 1334, Pope John II issued several bulls identifying sorcery with heresy and pacts with the devil. So, you know, the conversation is, is it real or is it not? It was real enough for the church to come in and, uh, really lose their shit over it, <laughs> like truly freak out. Uh, 1317, in France, a bishop was executed for using witchcraft in an attempt to kill Pope John Twenty-Second. I have never heard of him. Okay, this was one of the several assassination plots around the time against the Pope or a king. 1340s, here is one of the biggest kickoffs of, you know, hunting witches in Europe. The Black Death swept through Europe adding to the willingness of people to see conspiracies against Christendom. And, you know, who are we going to blame for this thing that came in and just decimated humanity? Witches, of course. Evildoers, of course. All right, so let's skip down a little bit. Ah, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued Sumus Desiderantes Effectibus, authorizing two German monks to instigate accusations of witchcraft as heresy, threatening those who interfered with their work. Now, what is this work, you may ask? Well, in 1486, the Mal Malleus Maleficarum was published. Now, what does that mean? It translates to The Hammer of Witches, and it was basically a witch hunting book. It taught how to identify witches, how to hunt them, and how to interrogate them. So once that was out, it was just, you know, here comes the hysteria. We're going for it. It, it, it got really crazy after that. So, yeah. Malleus Maleficarum. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Pretty interesting if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that as well. Okay, where should we go next? Okay, well, just 1500s to 1560, many historians point to this period as one in which witchcraft trials and Protestantism were rising. Okay, let's go down a little bit. 1542, English law made witchcraft a secular crime with the Witchcraft Act. An entire act. I mean, seems a little dramatic. <laughs> 1552, Ivan IV of Russia issued the decree of 1552 declaring witch trials were a civil matter rather than church matters. That's interesting. Um, and then 1560s and, uh, 1560s and 1570s, a wave of witch hunts are launched in southern Germany. Now, Germany saw like the most action and most executions from the witch hunt hysteria period that went on for these few hundred years. So not surprising that it actually was like launching there. Okay, let's come down a little bit. 
1580s to the 1650s, many historians consider this period, especially the years 1610 to 1630, as one of the largest number of witchcraft cases. Yeah. Uh, 1580, one of the periods of frequent witchcraft trials in England. So, yeah, I mean, England, Russia, Germany, Ireland, Scotland, it is France. It is spread out. This is not just hitting one little area. You know, it's all, and we're just talking about, again, European witch, witch trials. It, it's been all over the place. It's insane. Okay. Um, uh, da -da, let's go down to 1604. Act of James I expanded punishable offenses related to witchcraft. 1612. The Pendle Witch Trials in Lancashire, England accused 12 witches. The charges included the murder of 10 by witchcraft. 10 were found guilty and executed. One died in prison and one was found not guilty. 1618. A Handbook of English Judges on Pursuing Witches was published. So it's really interesting. The ones I'm kind of skipping, there are... They're talking about, like, there's things that kept coming out being like, witchcraft isn't even a thing. And then, on the other hand, we have these full-fledged trials where people are being accused of witchcraft and being killed because of it. It's, it's just, it's interesting that no one could really agree on it, but it was something that was very much happening nonetheless. Um, 1634, the London witch trials took place in France under Ursuline nuns reported, after Ursuline nuns reported being possessed. They claimed to be the victims of Father Urbain Grandier, who was convicted of sorcery despite refusing to confess even under torture. Although Father Grandier was executed, the possessions continued, the possessions, uh, quote unquote, continued to occur until 1637. 1640s, one of the periods of frequent witchcraft trials in England. So again, we started in 1486. That is when, um, you know, this witch hunting guide is published and we're down to the 1640s and it's like fever pitching now. So that's still almost 200 solid years. Uh, 1660, a wave of witch trials started in northern Germany. 1682, King Louis XIV of France prohibited further witchcraft trials in that country. 1682, Mary Trembles and Susanna Edwards were hanged, the last documented witch hangings in England itself. 1692, Salem, which we will get all into next week. 1717, the last English trials for witchcraft was held. The defendant was acquitted. Six, 1736, the English Witchcraft Act was repealed, formally ending witch hunts and trials. So we still, again, had a solid chunk of time over a century where this was being permitted. 1755, Austria ended witchcraft trials. 1768, Hungary ended witchcraft trials. So, yeah, widespread, again, and for centuries. Now let's jump over to the United States for just a minute. Back, we went to, we came over for Salem. Now we're coming back over again. 1833, in the United States, a Tennessee man was persecuted for witchcraft. I'm going to actually try to look that up and learn a little bit more because I have never heard of that particular case or anything after the Salem Witch Trials. Um, let's come down to, okay, 1970s. The women's movement looks at the witchcraft persecutions through a feminist lens. Yes, it did. <laughs> We're still doing it in 2019. And then the last entry is December 2011. Amina bint Abdul Halim Nasser was beheaded in Saudi Arabia for practicing witchcraft. So that was a mere eight years ago. And, you know, accusations are still out there and persecutions and executions are still happening in the name of witchcraft. Just really interesting. It literally has gone from, you know, the earliest written records we have to, you know, 2011. And we're still talking about it now in 2019 and witches that do exist. We're talking about it as witches in 2019. It's, it's extremely interesting. So I wanted to wrap up this episode, and I think it's only right to wrap up this episode, uh, talking about the various ways that the accused would be executed if found guilty. So trigger warning for this section, if you are not uh, up to hearing about various, 
ways that people are put to death, I do not blame you. I just think it's important to talk about. Feel free to skip ahead maybe like four or five minutes and we'll be done with it. So we all know burning at the stake, right? I think that was probably the most popular method and also the one that we definitely see represented the most. Um, I mean, just brutal, just, just terrible. And I am so tempted to go on a tangent about Joan of Arc, but I will save it for another episode because I have a, I have a lot uh, to say about her. So yeah, burning at the stake, hanging, of course, is very popular. Um, crushing where they will, and I know, oh gosh, what's his name? There's one particular, the, I think he was the only man accused in Salem. <gasps> what is his name? I can't remember, but oh, Corey, Giles Corey, I believe. Um, he is a very famous instance of being crushed. In fact, when you go to the Salem Witch Museum that I talked about in the Salem episode, you hear these like disembodied screams when they talk about him being crushed. I mean, the Salem uh, Museum, is, is it the, there's a couple, but this one is like for the tourists and it is very dramatized and like lights and smoke and music. But yeah, I, that's one of the memories I really remember is like hearing the crushing sounds of the lo the rocks being placed on him and this like disembodied screaming. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrible just being laid out on this slab, this surface and having these heavy boulders basically placed on top of you and you're slowly being crushed. Again, like we were saying with the torture earlier, of course, you are going to confess to whatever they want you to, or you're going to accuse whoever they want you to just to get out of that. It's, it's just terrible. Um, another popular method was stoning where a mob would just gather and throw rocks at you until you died. Because, uh, you know, hysteria really does go hand in hand with a mob mentality, does it? Uh, we talked about hanging. Oh, also where they, I'm sure you've seen it in movies. I'm not sure what it's called. Uh, I call it like being hung by the wrist, but it's, I'm sure you've seen it. It's where the, like the wrists are tied together and they're kind of, you're hung by them, but your arms are kind of arched back a little bit and it forces the shoulders to dislocate. Um, yeah, again, that's just torturous. Like it, it, the thing is, once you were accused, you were just kind of SOL because you could never really recover from it, or you were just tortured in these terrible ways, or you lost your life. It was just, gosh, you should you should really hope that you know no one would make the accusation against you because it it wasn't going to end well for you no matter what. And then uh, there is the water test, which I have talked about before. I think also in the Salem episode, this. I remember like sit where I was sitting in my classroom in 11th grade where I learned about this. It infuriated me to my core and it still does. This this is not a way that people were executed, but many, many, many people died from it because it was so phenomenally stupid. So uh, I will basically, again, um, a woman would be, or a w accused witch, but in most cases a woman, right, would either be bound by her hands and her feet or she would be tied. You've seen these in like medieval sections of textbooks. She would be tied to uh, kind of like a, a big seat that was kind of lofted up in the air and then be dunked down into water. And the theory was that if she didn't drown, then she was a witch and then she would be executed. And if she did drown, then she was innocent, but she died. So like what? That's what I'm saying. This is the level of like rationality and and critical thinking that we are dealing with in this time period. Oh, well, I mean, sorry. I guess she was a good girl and she was innocent after all, but she drowned, so that's how we had to find out. What? It's just I know you're using this word, but it is truly maddening. Could you imagine? That, okay, if you float, you die, and if you live, you die. Or not, if you float, you die, and if you drown, you die. 
either way, you're not making it out of this. Uh, so yeah, a, a ton of people died uh, due to that form of testing. But I also, I just call it a form of execution because either way, the chances were very slim that you were going to make it out of there. So yeah, that is, wow. Just wow. All because of like ignorance and fear that, and you know, we talked about this in the beginning of the first episode, uh, beginning of last week's episode. It's, witches went from this place of being revered in their communities and being sought out for help and for guidance. And it became because of a perceived connection to the devil or to demons or to evil or to sin, this idea of sin that thus we became evil. And so then we had to be killed for it. It's just insane. And I really do hope, and I kind of feel that there is like this return to seeing witches as these powerful figures in society, but also ones that should be looked at as teachers and healers and, you know, good examples and pillars of the community. And I think we are starting to be seen again for all of the good that we carry and all of our like positive attributes. At least I hope so. I don't know. Being a witch has really become really cool and trendy in the last few years as we talk about. And I definitely, I think more accepted than it probably ever has been before. So I think it's looking pretty good now. <laughs> you guys let me know what you think. I think things are turning around. But yeah, that is all for this week. Uh, we covered, I know, a ton of history ground, but it's important to know your witch story, I think. And I think you all agree with me. So yeah, next week we're going to pack our bags. We're going to get on the plane and we are going to land in Salem and talk all about the Salem witch trials. Um, oh, crystal of the week. Well, we have four in this episode. They're just in a different place than they normally are. Our four beautiful, amazing black crystals, whichever resonate with you totally, I would suggest adding all four to your collection, honestly, but you know, for your altar, for your person, for your bedside, while this veil is sitting out, they are so amazing to have. I mean, they're amazing to have all year round, honestly. Uh, and your homework is your manifestation box. Keep those spells going. Keep the meditation going. Keep the manifesting going. Work with those candles. I'm so proud of you. You are doing a great job. Even if you are stressed about it and worrying about it, don't stress. Don't worry. The way that you are doing it is perfect for you. And I'm proud of you. So don't even think about it. Just meditate. Meditate about it. You can do that, but don't overthink it. Um, Bowage Podcast, the Bowage Podcast at gmail.com. I am so behind on emails, but I am trying to get them done before I get on the plane. Uh, I'm, I'm trying, y'all. Stick with me. Um, the Bad Witch Facebook group, the answer is The Craft. I almost said The Coven. I almost always say that. I think I just need to write that movie. It is like in my spirit. Uh, the Craft, I will take The Covenant. I will take Blubber. I will take Blubber. Just let me know that you listen to the podcast and I will let you in. And you can join all 500 of us beautiful baddies in there. 500 plus, actually, which is just cuckoo. I'm so obsessed. Um, oh, patreon.com slash bad witch. If you want to come become, if you want to come become a patron, that is the place to do it. And, um, there's some cool stuff on there. There's readings and witchy mail and, uh, shout outs and bonus episodes and all kinds of other stuff that I, I can't even think about the top of my head. Cause I've literally been talking for six hours, <laughs> but it was worth it. And, um, oh, and the merge link is in the episode notes. As always, it is Teespring. One day I will actually tell you what the actual link is. I think it's teespring.com slash bad dash witch dash two. Don't quote me on that. Just click below if you want to get some of the merch. Uh, I think that is it. Okay. I love you all. Oh, happy full moon. I mean, it's, it's full moon right now where I'm recording, but happy full moon when you hear this. I hope it was beautiful and majestic and you manifested so much for yourselves and 
yeah, just let the good vibes come in, even though I started off with uh, a little shadowy, mercury feeling of a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It really turned around, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'm thankful for all of you, and you deserve good, and I love you from the bottom of my wishy heart, and until next week, even though I'll be recording tomorrow, <laughs> blessed be, and goodbye.